Today's reading is from Genesis 22, 1 through 2. Hear the word of the Lord. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Well, my name is Henry Thompson, and I am one of the pastors at Christ Community Church. Clearly, I'm not at the downtown campus normally, but uh, I'm from the Brookside campus. Uh, so I'm really thankful to have the opportunity to uh, preach the word to you this morning. And let's pray before we begin. Father, uh, I just thank you for your grace, Lord. I thank you for your mercy, Lord. And I thank you uh, for each and every person here, Lord. Pray that you would be exalted and glorified this morning through your word, God. I pray that you would strengthen our faith in you and our trust in you, God, and uh, just show us your glory uh, this morning, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. After graduating from undergrad at Indiana University in May 2011, I moved to Memphis, Tennessee. And God grew my faith tremendously during my time there. He taught me to depend on him like never before, and one of the ways God grew my faith during my time in Memphis was through cars. Yes, God used cars to deepen my faith and trust in him. I spent three years in Memphis, and during that time, I had four different cars. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Four cars in three years. Now, I don't have the time to tell you about what led to me needing four different cars, but I will tell you about my first car in Memphis. When I moved there, I had a 1989 Toyota Camry. It was the kind of car you would call a hoopty because it was a raggedy car. It was almost completely rusted out, but I was thankful for my hoopty because it was getting me from point A to B. But see, beginning in 2012, I prayed a big prayer I prayed that God would teach me to trust him more. Two days after praying that prayer, I kid you not, I drove to my job at the grocery store at Aldi's, and once I finished my shift, I discovered that my 1989 Toyota Corolla was stolen. When I discovered that my car was stolen out of the parking lot of my job, I was devastated. I did not have any money to buy another car, and my job was about a 20 to 25-minute drive from where I lived at. So I did not know how I would get to work, right? Because I had to, like, buy another car. So in order to buy another car, you have to work. So it's like it was, I was stuck in a conundrum. But God did something amazing. He provided me with a group of friends who gave me a ride to and from work. It took me five months to save up the money, to get another car, but I was never unable to find a ride. Not once did God fail to provide me with a ride to work. 
Now I want to confess something to you this morning. Even though I have this amazing story about God's provision, I still struggle with doubting that God will provide for me. I still doubt that God will provide me with the financial resources I need. At times, I still doubt that God will provide me with the community I need. Even though God has provided for me in amazing ways in the past, I still struggle with trusting him in the present. Now, I have a question for you this morning. Do you ever struggle with trusting God to provide for you? Do you ever struggle with having faith in the God you serve? If you ever struggle with trusting God, I have good news for you this morning. We're going to walk through a story this morning that will remind us we can trust God. We are going to go through a story that should strengthen our faith in the God who provides for us. Now, over the past few months, we have been walking through Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And over the past weeks, we have specifically been journeying with Abraham and Sarah. Their story is a turning point in the book of Genesis. The first 11 chapters of Genesis detail the creation of God's good world and the rebellion against God by his image bearers, human beings. This rebellion brings pain, death, and shame into God's beautiful world. Then in chapter 12, we are introduced to Abraham and Sarah. And God promises to use their family to bless all the earth. God promises that through Sarah and Abraham's family, God's ultimate rescue plan will come to pass. There's only one problem. Abraham and Sarah didn't have any children. He and Sarah had never been able to have children. For 24 years, God kept, them, kept, kept promising them a child. They kept waiting even though it was really impossible for them to have kids. See, they were about 100 years old, and you may not know this, but 100-year-old people really can't have kids. (laughs) But God intervenes and keeps his promise by miraculously making a way for Sarah to get pregnant and give birth to a son, Isaac. In Genesis chapter 2, the promised child has arrived. God's plan of rescue is moving forward. Now what? What's next in this story? Well, let's look at Genesis chapter 22 to find out. It is on page 16 of the Community Life Bible, or you can swipe there on your phone. But I'm going to pick up in Genesis 22 verse 1. It reads, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Genesis takes a turn we can never imagine. We couldn't have guessed this, right? God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac, the son that Abraham waited to have for over 24 years. This makes absolutely no sense. Because God's promise to bless the earth was supposed to be carried on through Isaac. And God's request to Abraham builds in verse 2 of the text. God asked him first to take his son Isaac. Then he adds that it's his only son. Then he points out that it's the son that he loves and values. And after all that, God commands Abraham to offer him as a sacrifice. Do you feel the weight of this request? This request sounds weird to our Western ears, 
but it would not have sounded as weird to the original audience, the Israelites. Because it was commonly understood that the first fruits of the harvest and the firstborn child belonged to God. We see this in Exodus chapter 13. After God delivers his people out of slavery, he instructs them to dedicate their firstborn to him. But despite this reality, it's still hard to see how God could make this request of Abraham, right? Now, we have an advantage over Abraham because the narrator informs us that God is testing Abraham. This should inform us from the very beginning that God does not call his people to participate in human sacrifice. We see this throughout the entire Old Testament. God never once supports the sacrifice of children or adults. So the fact that this is a test should tip us off to how this story ends. But Abraham does not know that he's being tested. He doesn't know why God is making this irrational request of him. And even though God will never, ever test us in the same way that he tested Abraham, our faith in God will be tested too. God tests the faith of his people. And I know this from personal experience. Now go with me here a second. Prior to coming to Christ Community Church, I was part of a historically black church on the south side of Chicago. And I absolutely loved this church. I loved the gospel music played during worship. I loved the powerful preaching at the church. I mean, I was used to people standing up in the middle of the sermon and clapping and saying amen. And Gabe told me, now Gabe told me he wanted y'all to start doing that too. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But, but see, like many black churches, my former church practiced call and response. I also found my church comforting because most of the people came from the same ethnic background as mine. The church is mostly African and, and, and middle class like me. So I thought that after seminary, I would end up at a church like that one. But during my third year of seminary, I decided to apply for the residency at Christ Community Church It was a last-minute decision. Honestly, I did not believe that God would call me to Kansas City, but I applied and did my first interview in February of 2017. And to my surprise, I was selected to come for an in-person interview, and your pastor, Tyler Chinesky, picked me up from the KC airport. And I tell you, the first day I came, I felt the Lord told me I was supposed to come to Kansas City and do the residency at Christ Community. Now, this did not make sense to me. I mean, I am very black, and I was at a very black church that I love. (laughs) And Christ's community was culturally so different from my former church. But I moved here in May of 2018, and this past year in KC was harder than I thought it'd be. I'm so thankful to be at Christ's community, but I mean, I faced situations that I was not expecting. But as I studied this text this week, I realized that God has been testing me over this past year in KC. God has been stretching me in ways that I could never imagine. And he has done this in order to deepen my faith in him. And we should expect this. We should expect God to test us like he did Abraham. We should expect for our faith in God to be tested. And biblically, a test is a God-designed opportunity for growth in faith that reveals the quality of a person's obedience. Biblically, a test is a God-designed opportunity for growth in faith that reveals the quality of a person's obedience. And God's testing is different than temptation because God doesn't tempt anyone to sin. 
God doesn't test us to hurt us or make us fall. God tests us like a teacher so we can see what areas we need to grow in for the development of our relationship with him. And God has multiple avenues to test us. He can test you through your job. He can test you through your spouse. He can test you through your friends or family. He can test you through your children. God can test our faith in so many ways. And we should expect for our test for our faith to be tested for our growth and benefit. Amen. Okay, y'all with me. Okay. I didn't know. I was like, I'm from a black church. You gotta process that. Now, as we move back to our text this morning, we see how Abraham responds to God's test. Let's look at verse 3 of Genesis 22. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both of them went up together. From this text, we see that Abraham immediately obeys God's command. The day after God asked him to sacrifice his son at Mount Moriah, he rises early in the morning, he saddled his donkey, then he travels to Mount Moriah with his son and two of his servants. When he arrived next to Mount Moriah, Abraham waited three days before going up the mountain with his son. You may wonder why did he wait three days? Well, in their culture, three days was thought to be the time needed to get ready for something important. So this three days shows the weight and importance of God's request. Following the three-day wait, Abraham instructs his servants to wait while he goes up the mountain to worship with his son. Abraham has his son Isaac carry the wood for the offering, and Abraham walks up the mountain with a knife and fire for the offering. In verse 7 of our text, we see that Isaac, Abraham's son, is confused. He asks the question, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? This shows us that Abraham hasn't told him the plan. Now, in verse 8, Abraham answers the question by stating that God will provide a lamb for the offering. So the father and son head up the mountain together. When they reach the top of the mountain, Abraham builds the altar with the wood that his son Isaac was carrying. Then he ties his son Isaac down on the wooden altar. And at this point in the story, we can cut the tension with the knife, right? Now let's pick up in verse 10 of our text. It reads, Then Abraham reached out his hand, And took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, 
your only son from me. As Abraham is getting ready to follow God's command to sacrifice his son, an angel of the Lord calls to him at just the right time. Then God commands him not to do anything to his son Isaac. He commands him not to harm his son in any way. And then God says that he knows now that he fears him because he did not withhold his promised son Isaac from him. Abraham shows his fear for God by obeying God's command, even though it did not make sense. He showed his reverence for God by following his word and not withholding anything from him. And this is what God wants from us. God wants us to fear him so much that we withhold no area of our life from him. He wants us to fear him so much that we obey his commands even when they don't make sense to us. In this text, we see that our faith in God should lead us to obediently withhold nothing from him. Now, follow me here for a second. I have a hypothetical situation I want you to enter into this morning. Let's say you had a $100,000 piece of jewelry that you absolutely loved and valued. Okay, just go here with me. Would you give that $100,000 piece of jewelry to a toddler that was two or three years old? Like, talk back to me. You can tell me. No, no. No, toddlers are wonderful human beings made in God's image, but they would very likely destroy a valuable piece of jewelry. So it is wise to withhold something that valuable from a toddler. Now, I think sometimes we can treat God like the toddler in my hypothetical story. Sometimes we withhold, unwisely withhold the valuable things in our lives from God because we mistakenly believe that God is going to destroy them. But we see in this story this morning that we can trust God with the things most valuable to us. In light of this reality, we should not withhold any area of our life from God. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, Henry, how do I know that I'm withholding an area of my life from God? Well, we are withholding something from God when we are habitually disobeying God in an area of our life. If we are living outside of God's design for our sexuality and indulging in sexual immorality, we are withholding our sexuality from God. If we are holding on to anger and bitterness toward another person, we are withholding our relationship from God. If we are cutting corners at our job and deceiving a boss or co-worker to get ahead, we are withholding our career from God. When we are walking in habitual disobedience in any area of our lives, we are withholding something from God. And this displeases God because he wants us to fear him by following his word and submitting to him in all things. See, we can trust God with the things most valuable to us. You can trust him with your career. You can trust him with your children. You can trust him with your money. You can trust him with your relationship with your significant other. We can trust our amazing God with everything in our lives. There's nothing we have to withhold from him. Thus, our faith in God should lead us to obediently withhold nothing from him. 
This is what we see in Abraham's story. Abraham trusted God with his only son that he loved, and God provided us a, a sacrifice in his son's place. Now let's look back at verse 13 of Genesis 22. It reads, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. In these verses, we see that God provided Abraham with a sacrifice in place of his son. He didn't provide him with a lamb, but a ram. And Abraham offered that ram as a burnt offering unto the Lord. In light of God's provision, he called the top of Mount Moriah, the Lord will provide. Abraham commemorates God's provision of a sacrifice. And this story got passed down through generations. So the narrator tells the people of God that even today people say, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, it's so important for us to hold on to this truth that God provides because this shows us that our faith is not pointless. God's provision points to the reality that our faith in God is not pointless. We live in a secularized age where people question the value and having faith in God. We live in an age where many people believe that there's no point to trusting in God. But Abraham shows us that his faith was not pointless because God provides for his people. His trust in God was not in vain. Our text this morning shows us that our faith is not pointless. Now, I was reminded of this truth in a powerful way earlier this year through a really popular book called Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Now, through this book, I was not expecting to be reminded that our faith in God is not pointless. Because to my knowledge, Trevor Noah, the host of The Daily Show, is not a Christian. But it is clear from the very first page of his book that his mother, Patricia, is a strong Christian. And I was inspired by her faith throughout this book. And I found her faith to especially be encouraging through a powerful story I want to share with you this morning. Now, throughout the book, Trevor makes it clear that his mother is in an abusive marriage with his stepfather, Abel. But one day, his mother worked up the courage to leave her abusive husband. She got divorced from her husband. She bought a home and moved to a different part of town. Then she got remarried, and things were going well. Then one Sunday morning, his mother was getting ready to head to church, and her abusive ex-husband, Abel, showed up at her home with a 9-millimeter gun. To protect her family, she jumped in front of Abel, and he shot her in the behind. And as she tried to run away from him, she fell down, and he got over her and pointed his gun at her head. At that moment, Patricia prayed, and somehow Abel pulled the trigger of the gun four times, but it misfired every time. 
After the gun misfired, Patricia pushed Abel away and ran to her car, and she tried to get away. Abel fired his last bullet into her head. And Trevor's brother, Andrew, rushed his mom to the hospital. And when Trevor finds out his mom has been shot in the head, he is devastated. He thinks she's dead. He shows up to the hospital, and they were trying to kick his mom out the hospital because she didn't even have health insurance. But Trevor tells the healthcare professionals at the hospital that he will pay the bill. So they allow his mom to stay. A few hours later, the doctors come out and inform Trevor that his mother is stable and that she's going to live. He informs Trevor that the bullet missed her spinal cord, her brain, her eye socket, all her major arteries, and her medulla oblongata. The bullet ricocheted off her cheekbone and came out her nose. The doctor said he was a man of science, but he could use no other word to describe her miraculous survival than miracle. And the police were also confused because they didn't understand how the gun misfired four times when Abel was standing over Trevor's mother. They didn't understand how the gun worked and didn't work, then worked suddenly again. In my estimation, the only character who understood how things worked out how they did is Trevor's mother. And to illustrate this, on page 285, I want to read the last few sentences of this book, which is a conversation that Trevor has with his mother. As we packed up my mother's things to leave, I was going on about how insane the whole week had been. You're lucky to be alive, I told her. I still can't believe you didn't have any health insurance. Oh, but I do have insurance, she said. You do? Yes, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus is your health insurance? If God is with me, who can be against me? Okay, mom. Trevor, I prayed. I told you I pray and I don't pray for nothing. You know, I said for once I cannot argue with you. The gun, the bullets, I can't explain any of it. So I'll give you that much. Trevor's mother basically tells him, I know you think my faith in God is pointless, but I don't pray for nothing. I don't wake up early to go to church and read my Bible for nothing. Trevor's mother basically tells him, I know you think my faith is pointless, but God provided me with health insurance that money could not buy. He provided me with health insurance to stop bullets and miraculously caused a gun to misfire. He provided her with insurance that caused a bullet to go through her head and cause no lasting damage. Her prayerful faith in God was not in vain. Patricia shows her son her faith is not pointless because God provides for his people. And that's what we see in our text this morning. God provided for Abraham. He provided him with a ram for sacrifice. On top of that, we see in our text that he provided Abraham with a promise. Let's look back at verse 15 of our text. It reads, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn to quest the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven 
and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemy. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham's faith in God provides him with a reaffirmation of God's promise to him. God once again affirms that he will bless Abraham and make his descendants as numerous as the stars through Isaac. God offers his promise to Abraham again because he he trusted him and did not withhold his son from him. Abraham's faith in God, shown through his obedience, provided him with the incredible promise that all the earth would be blessed through his descendants. God provided Abraham with both a sacrifice and a promise. And through God's promise to Abraham, we see that God will provide for us. We should trust in God and follow his commands, knowing that he will provide for us. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, how do I know that God will provide for me personally? I am not Abraham. God didn't provide me with a ram or amazing promise that he would bless all the families of the earth through me. So how do I know for sure that God will provide for me in the midst of the circumstances of my life? Well, I can really relate to this question. Because I am in my second year of the pastoral residency at Christ Community, and at times I struggle with believing that God will provide me with the right pastoral position after my time at Christ Community is finished. So I can understand how one could question if God really provides for his people. We all face circumstances that lead us to question if God really provides. But I want to tell you this morning that we can trust God to provide because he has already provided us with the sacrifice and promise like he did Abraham. Now, I will will admit that this story in Genesis 22 about a father almost sacrificing his son is strange. But I believe this story is intended to point us to the greatest story, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the story where a father actually did sacrifice his son for our sake. God provided for Abraham at Mount Moriah, but God provided our deepest need at Mount Calvary. Our Heavenly Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus passed every test. He executed perfect faith in God. We, on the other hand, rebelled against God. We deserve death and eternal separation from God in hell, but God provided a sacrifice for our sin and rebellion. Jesus died on the cross of Calvary to cover over all our sins. Then they buried Him in a borrowed tomb. And he stayed in the grave all day Friday. And he stayed in the grave all day Saturday. But early Sunday morning, he got up out of the grave conquering sin, Satan, and death. And through his resurrection, we have the promise that we too will conquer sin and death. We have a promise of eternal life and a new heaven and earth with no more pain and sorrow. So we can trust God to provide today because he provided what we needed most 2,000 years ago. Amen? Amen. And through Jesus, God has given us the Holy Spirit to help us trust him when we face tests. And he has given us his spirit, the word, and the church community to remind us that God has, can, and will provide for us. 
He can provide you with the strength you need to raise your kids. He can provide you with the strength to persevere through health problems. He can provide you with the power to love your spouse. He can provide you with the resources you need to make it financially. He can provide you with the power to fight sin. And he can provide you with peace in the midst of difficult circumstances. In the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can trust that God has, can, and will provide for us like he did Abraham. Amen? Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your grace, Lord. I thank you for your provision for us, Lord. And I pray that you would continue just to draw us to you, Lord, and and deepen our faith in you. And I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you so much for your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.